Hi, hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, for new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is based on one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That question led me on a deep dive into the history of my faith, the history of Christianity, history of the Bible, the, the canon of the Bible, the, the early church up to the Reformation, and beyond. And in that deep dive, I encountered for the very first time the Catholic Church in its own words, actual Catholic theologians writing about what the Catholics actually believed. And it was then that I realized what I thought I knew about the Catholic faith was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week's episode does exactly what this show, really at its core, intends to do. Kind of explains some of those misconceptions you might have about the Catholic faith. I am joined by my good friend, lay minister, Catholic educator, Robert LeBlanc, to tackle some of the most frequently asked questions about Catholicism. We talked about how we would answer these kind of questions in, in conversation as not expert theologians or apologists, but two guys who love the Catholic faith and love talking about the Catholic faith and answer these, how we would address these, these common questions. And it ends up being a fantastic conversation. I think you'll love it. We tackle things like the saints, like like Mary, like prayer, like Catholic calisthenics, the standing up, sitting down, the bells, the smells, the rules of the Catholic Church, confession, and much more in this conversation. It's great. I think you'll love it. I hope that you do. This conversation and others are on this show are brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and our one-time sponsors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. If you want to help support this show financially, those links are in the show notes, so please do prayerfully consider supporting this show to help it keep going and growing week after week. And to those who are already supporting this show with your financial gifts and your prayers, thank you from the bottom of my heart for your support of the show. And now, without any further ado, my conversation with my good friend Robert LeBlanc on the most frequently asked questions of the Catholic faith and, well, our humble answers. Please listen and enjoy. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If you are listening on podcast, thank you. Make sure you subscribe to the show, find it and follow it wherever you're listening to it. Uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please just press pause right now. Well, not right now, but in a second after I say this part, leave a rating and a review because that helps to push the podcast out to new people. So press pause now and then go and do that and then unpause afterwards. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, thanks for watching. Subscribe to this channel. Uh, make sure you hit the bell so you're notified when these new videos come out each and every week. Uh, hit the thumbs up button. Leave some comments below. Uh, let us know what you think about this show and, and others uh, in on this channel. And thanks for watching. Guys, we're, uh, we're destined for an absolute banger of a show this week. I, and I don't know. 
I don't know how it'll go actually, Robert. Robert, because this was kind of my my wild idea to have a show like this, and I couldn't think of anybody better to have this show with than my good friend Robert LeBlanc. He is a sought after speaker, an author. He is uh, ret- retiring after 28 years in Catholic education for a couple weeks at least, and he has now assumed the position of lay pastoral associate at St. Bernadette Parish in Ajax, Ontario, Canada. And he's, of course, one of the co-hosts of the fantastic Pints and Pews podcast. Robert, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here, and hello. Yeah, hello. I can't believe I was invited back to, to come out. Uh, yeah, I feel like I talk with you every day, there, Keith, yeah. because uh, the cordial Catholic is my go-to for my drive back and <laughs> forth to work. So it's like you're in the car with me on That's a good, daily man. basis, and our friendship <laughs> has grown. Uh, I was actually thinking about that. Uh, it was a year and a half ago, so almost two years. It would be two years in September. Uh, you came and recorded on the Pints and Pews. Yeah. with myself yeah. it was the thursday of the last week of school <laughs> i don't know sorry it was the thursday of the first week of school yeah, september yeah, so yeah. thursday of the first week of school <laughs> but here we are today on the cordial catholic on the thursday of the last week of oh, school wow <laughs> the thursday of my last week of school so yeah. you, you introduced me as retired teacher um less than 24 hours left so <laughs> It's all good, but you you mentioned the twenty eight years. I went and got got a haircut this evening to come on, and I told him to take all the gray out, but I guess it didn't work. So. You'd be as bald as your uh, your co host, or I guess yeah. he's not. No, sorry, I shouldn't. As short haired oh. as your your, your co host Dennis, I'm in trouble. We're, we're, we're having a, a yeah. competition. Who has the yeah. bigger forehead? Yeah. Right. It's, I, uh, I'm going to win that one, Robert. You got. I've my hair has grown. Uh, you know, three three kids in the midst of a fourth on on the way at this point. Uh, hopefully, successfully birthed at the point of this release of this podcast. But at this point, while we're, while we're recording, uh, as you can see, my my uh, mop top of a hair is a result of no no free time for my own self to get haircut with lots and lots of kids. So enjoy your haircut, enjoy retirement, enjoy. Robert, and enjoy the free time. And, and, and as we're talking over. about hair, I'm going to throw this out to you because it's one of my my new favorite Bible verses. Okay, let's hear it. Proverbs 16.31. And throwing this back to a, a, a former evangelical, I don't, no, that's the, t- the test. We're having a quiz. Proverbs 16.31. And I'm supposed to know this. Uh, well, it's got to be the one that refers to uh, the, the wizened old man with the gray hair. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> gray hair is the, is the crown of wisdom. There you go. Uh, so, so what you're saying, so is uh, in this episode, all the questions just go to you, and you're the one to to settle the 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 score. Because I thought you were going to quote Second oh. uh, Kings uh, two two twenty three, which was for us a favorite verse uh, in in youth group. This is from the prophet Elisha. Okay, so Second Kings two twenty three twenty five. Okay. From there, Elijah went up to Bethlehem. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of town and jeered at him. Get out of here, baldy, they said. This is the, this is the, NIV, this is the NIV translation. This is even better. Get out of here, baldy. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods, mauled 42 of the boys. And he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there returned to Samaria. 
And they say the Bible's not exciting, right? We loved, we loved that that verse. And if I recall correctly, Robert, we had a, a, a stump the pastor uh, at youth group one year, evangelical youth group, and somebody slipped that verse into the box of questions, just and said, you know, what do you think of this? And uh, didn't miss a beat. Read the verse and answered, "Oh, of course, this is what." The- <laughs> my, my, my favorite part there is it so you think a couple of guys are, are jeering the bald-headed prophet the bear comes and mauls 42 of the youth <laughs> so this is the gang this is an unwieldy gang of young boys that just walks around the you know the ancient uh cities taunting taunting prophets Robert. so it says a little bit about youth group back in the day <laughs> it does. doesn't it right it was a wild place oh boy so i uh, the intention of this episode, and I think a lot of fun, I think, uh, in, in my mind at least, we'll see how it, how it turns out, Robert, was I was thinking of some of those most frequently asked questions that people have about Catholicism. And I was thinking, I know for you, uh, 28 years in education, uh, these are the kinds of questions that are bound to come up for from high school kids who are various degrees of, of, of catechism, varying degrees of 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 practicing the, the faith and, and in families that practice the faith, know about the faith. These questions come up all the regularly. time, regularly, and right? Daily, yeah, daily, yeah, yeah. Daily. And I think on my journey into the church, similarly, these are the questions that, that I asked and had to answer. And then in my life, my wife's life as, as converts, when, our, when we encounter people who are non-Catholic Christians, these are the questions that come up. You became Catholic? Well, what about this? What about this? And so I thought what fun it would be to have you on the show uh, to just talk through these questions, to kind of balance our ideas back and forth. You know, we're not, we're not expert apologists. We're not, you know, theologians representing the church. We're a couple of guys who are, are serious about our Catholic faith. You are embarking on I don't know. Are you a professional Catholic now, working working for? I'm a, a practicing Catholic because I haven't perfected it yet. Oh, right? and I'm going to keep practicing probably until uh, I get halfway That's through perfect. purgatory or something. Right? That's perfect. But and you're saying that though, and you're saying we're, we're not professional theologians, we're not professional apologists. But when you meet those people when people discover that you're Catholic, and more so when they discover you're a Catholic educator, yeah, right. Uh, Myself in high school, like I said, these questions, were, it was almost daily. You actually represent the church. For that person in that moment, you represent the magisterium yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. And you are the church, and they come to you for answers. So before we get started, I think one thing that we can can share, a piece of advice for the listeners, for the audience out there, is when people come to you and they see you as the church and they have these questions if you don't have the answer the best thing to say is i don't know let's find out yeah. together yeah let's find out together and i don't know how many times i've done that over the the last 28 years it was a, a let's find this out together because yeah. you know i want to know this too <laughs> yeah i 100% 100% agree with you I hate the expression 110% because that's, you can't, that's not, that's not possible. It's 110%. That pet peeve of mine, Robert. But I 100% agree with you. And if I could agree more with you, more than that with you, I, I, I would. 120%. 120%. No, I, I'll see your 110, we'll go to 120. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, yeah, I, I fully affirm that. One of the things I learned early on when I began to blog about my journey into the Catholic faith and was answering questions from readers who were, 
at that time, uh, friends, associates, people who were like, what is he, what is he doing? Somebody wiser than me said what you just said there to Dennis. <laughs> I'm the better looking one. I'm the better looking one. Wow. That was a slip of the tongue, Robert. <laughs> Yeah. This interview is now over. It's over. He's leaving, folks. <laughs> what somebody wiser than me said back then was what you just said now was don't don't try and answer a question you don't know the answer to. Just say I don't know. Let's find out. Because that that's the there's nothing wrong with you're not going to drive somebody away from the faith if you just don't know the answer. You are going to push them away or or make them feel something that's not going to draw them in if you just try and answer on the spot and your answer is terrible or 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 wrong in some cases, yeah, right? Exactly. That does no one a service. But just saying, hey, I'm not sure, let's find out. Like that. that's, okay, they're not going to go away angry. They're going to, okay, let's find out, right? Yeah. And then the other piece of advice along with that I, I would give to people is when you are giving the answers, because... A lot of the times, the answers that the Catholic Church gives, the world doesn't want to hear. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And the way I've always approached that is, is that, you know, you've asked me a question about the church. You want to know what the church teaches or what the church believes. This is what we have in the catechism. This is what we yeah. believe. This is what we teach. I'm not saying for you to agree with it or not, but I'm going to give you that information and that way you can now make an informed decision you can make that decision on your own because at the end of the day that's between you and god yeah yeah right and you know don't shoot the messenger yeah in, in a lot of ways uh but to just say i'm here to inform you've asked the question i'm here to inform you now need to take that information and it's up to you to make that decision and I think if we approach it in that non-confrontational way, uh, I've always heard it said, you know, we're here to propose, not impose. Yeah, yeah. And so if we approach it that way too, um, it leaves it open to the free will and to um, the, the intelligence and uh, of the other person that we're speaking with. <laughs> I think that that's very well said, Robert, and I absolutely agree with you. In, in And this is uh, honestly a, a freedom versus... The you know in my evangelical uh, past life as an evangelical Christian before becoming Catholic, the stress was always this is what we believe or or, or I believe, and and there's always a pushback. Well, you know, oh, where's that in the Bible? Or well, I believe this about the Bible. I, I believe this differently, and there's always a chance to kind of push back and argue. The beauty, the kind of the 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 peace, the ability to kind of relax and just trust in something is the existence of the catholic church and the catechism that just that that tells us like this is you know if if we if we believe in the magisterium of the catholic church that it has the ability to bind and loose to teach what you know what the the faith is definitively that's a huge relief for a person coming from a kind of faith they have to constantly argue with and wrestle with well why do i believe this about the bible when this guy over here believes this there's never that security of saying, well, this is what we believe in, and take it or leave it. There's always that kind of the pushback or the massaging of the message. What I, one of the things I love, and so many converts that I've had in the show say the same thing, Robert, is that if you explain the Catholic faith, you can say, oh, the catechism says this. The Catholic Church believes this. Take it or leave it, but this is what the Church believes. It's not open for, well, I don't interpret that belief this way because the Bible says, no, 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 no. The Church believes this kind of 
take take it or leave it, right? That exactly. is, I'm not, I don't know explaining it very well, but you know, converts will I think resonate with this because I've heard it a lot. It's it's such a difference in terms of here's what we believe when in one case it's here, it's the deposit of faith, it's the magisterium, it's it's in the catechism versus these beliefs that can be argued and massaged and interpreted different ways because there are different interpretations. There's there's thousands of churches that believe these things differently. So it is a huge, that is a huge freedom for the Catholic. Well, one, one thing I've heard on this Catholic podcast that I keep listening to uh, put out by some guy named, <laughs> named K. Albert Little, but no, what, time and again, your guests have said, and I've got numerous times I've heard your guests say, they came into the faith, they came into the Catholic faith, and they relaxed and they said, we don't have to be our own Pope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we are no longer our own Pope. We don't have to make those decisions anymore. And it's such a relief for them. Yeah. And I, I couldn't tell you the number of times you've, you have yeah. heard someone say this because <laughs> I've heard you listen to someone yeah. say this. Like I said, you're in the car with me every morning. Yeah. So yeah. it's... <laughs> and it's that, that's a big difference too. So somebody coming into the Catholic, you know, there's not there's not that wrestling with well, which of these truths is the is the truth out of the Bible? The Catholic Church, you know, we believe has to be able to actually say, no, no, it's this one here. <laughs> we'll take we'll take that one there, which is which is awesome. And I like your way of saying, well, here's what the Church believes, right? The, the informed versus versus the the you don't have to, you don't have to believe this, but here's what the Church believes. Take it or leave it. I think the third thing I would add with that is how that is received, right? Now, we can't control that. Oh, we can't sure. control for that. Sure. We were talking earlier in the week, you and I, over text about a, an encounter that I had out in, out in public where I heard somebody describing their experience of a Catholic moral teaching, and and they were explaining it as, well, you know, this, this, this priest I talked to told me this, this, and this, and I thought, there's just no way a, a, a priest told you that, I wonder what they actually told you that you kind of interpreted in a certain way, maybe because you wanted to hear it that way, maybe you misunderstood what they said, maybe you had preconceived notions or didn't fully, you know, they didn't explain themselves very well and it was it was misunderstood. I don't know why, but the, the other thing that I would, I would add in answering these kind of questions would be, we don't always know how that'll be received and heard, no matter how clear we say it, and we also can't control that. I, I don't exactly. think either, right? There's exactly. a, a letting. There's got to be a letting go there, right? Here's what the church says. Here's why. <laughs> there yeah, there and, you go, and, right? And sometimes the perception on the other end is the complete antithesis to what we were trying to say. Yeah. But like you're just saying, people will hear something different than from what was actually said, and yeah, it's boggles the mind. Uh, I don't get it, but perhaps I'm guilty on my own end of doing that sometimes as well. Yeah. yeah. I remember I had Jimmy Aiken from Catholic Answers on this show a number of years back now, and he, we were talking about the, the rules of the Catholic faith, in quotes, and his, his glib comment, which was very uncharacteristic of Jimmy Aiken because he's, he's quite cordial and does well on this show, was the effect that actually pe people will complain about all the rules of the Catholic faith, but they don't even want to try and follow them. They just want to have sex whenever they want to. And I thought, whoa, Jimmy. <laughs> but he, you know, his point He's not wrong. Yeah, no, he's not wrong. You know, and his point was you can tell people these things, say these things, if they don't want to hear them or they just kind of choose to misunderstand them and kind of do whatever they want. Well, there are, there are things that might override them hearing that 
in the way that you, you've said to them if they have other things in, in mind that, that are more important, right? They might just hear, hear, ah, rules, 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 rules. No, okay, I can't, right? Versus, you know, you explain from the catechism where the rules come from and why, and it's, it's eloquent and well-spoken, but what they're hearing is just this noise because they have other things on the brain, <laughs> Maybe. Oh, for sure. And, and as you're saying that, it's reminding me of the uh, the story of, you know, Christ with the adulterous woman. Yeah. Right. And everyone always hears your sins are forgiven. Yeah. I don't condemn you. <laughs> I don't condemn you. Your sins are forgiven. They miss the next line. Yeah. They always miss the next line. Go and sin no, no more. Yeah. Right. So it's just, oh, yeah, I'm going to be forgiven. But they forget the, well, don't do it again part. Yeah. Right. So all we can all we can do is explain, you know, answer Catholic questions as as best we can, right? In, in charity, not not to not to prescribe, but to explain, and pray it's received the way we intend it. Pray, f- you know, for that person in, in follow up. I think that's important too, right? Any conversation mm, you have like sure. like this, you know, prayers what blank is that conversation it, before after. I can't think of a number of times where I have out of the blue somebody I've been praying for for years just asks a random Catholic question, and you go, "Oh, you've been thinking about this? I had no idea." You- you were okay. You hope that I'm ready to answer this question, right? And that's, I guess, maybe the last thing before we get to the questions is we're meant to, as Catholics, as practicing Catholics, have ready answers to a lot of these questions as best we can. We talked before about just saying, I'm not sure if we don't have the answer, but we're, we're meant to make an attempt at, at studying the faith, at learning the faith, to, to have these kind of questions in mind to be able to answer what, when we can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Now, you kind of always have to have that, that reason to explain your faith yeah. uh, and just, yeah, be be ready to go. And don't overthink the question either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't overthink the question because sometimes the, the question is simple and we try to expound on it and make it more complicated than it needs to be where all they're looking for is a simple yes or no answer Yeah. as well. Yeah, that's true. Okay, question number no. one. <laughs> why Let's be go. why be Catholic, Robert? That's for somebody, the convert. Yeah, somebody walks up in the street, <laughs> no, <laughs> asks you, "Excuse me, sir, why why be Catholic? Why be Catholic?" That'd be a funny what? encounter. <laughs> it, it it would be. It how would, would you how would you answer that? Yeah, why be Catholic? And I, I've thought about that. And if you go way back into the the dark recesses of YouTube, you'll find a Catholic moment video. I think it was one of the very first videos I ever put out there. So it's it's. Pretty cheesy. Your hair's less gray, um, maybe. My, yeah, and a little. It was a little bit lower on the forehead <laughs> as you. well. Um, why be Catholic? And I think there's there's two ways I I would approach that. I think now I would talk about truth, beauty, and goodness. Yeah, yeah. And and maybe not even in that order. Right? I think I would start with beauty. Right. I think beauty is the the the, the first way in. Uh, Truth and goodness. Yeah. I would even sum it up in the, the word of the, the Eucharist yeah, yeah, as well. If we fully understood what we were receiving in the Eucharist, is there, uh, why be Catholic is, uh, as we were talking about, it kind of provides that peace of mind as well. Uh, living the faith, living a life of faith, just brings a certain sense of 
of peace to it. And it was funny, like today, this afternoon, we had our, our staff year-end social, and they like to give out these little, they're supposed to be fun awards. You know, who's the guy that always has a cup of coffee in his hand? And who's, who's the first one in, last one out? Who uses the most emojis in their emails? And uh, so there, there was one award. It was called the Green Tea Award. Who brings the calm vibe to the school? <laughs> And then when they called my name, like, again, I'm looking around to see, <laughs> right? And, and, and you're laughing. My my wife was laughing even harder when I told her this as well, right? But I think that comes back to the faith, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, that the, yeah. the faith brings us that that calmness, that, that peacefulness, uh, kind of like Christ in our boat in the stormy seas, and he, he's asleep in the stern, right? Uh, so because there's the truth in our Catholic faith that we don't have to go uh, searching or we don't have to, to be, like you were saying, massaging the truth or, or figuring out the truth. Around, it, it's there. And the beauty of the Mass, the beauty of sacred art, the beauty of sacred music, and the goodness that comes from it. And I think as we talk through some of the other questions, you know, the, the goodness that the church has offered through the millennia, right? And it all just brings that, that, that peacefulness, that joy. Yeah. Right. Uh, is there, and, and all those things. So you can't really encapsulate it into one idea. And I think for maybe each person, it would be different. Yeah. 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 Right. So what about for yourself? I would ask you, why be Catholic? But I think that, that would be a whole show in and of itself. For <laughs> I think we have a show, some... actually, with that title, Why Be Catholic, I think, back in the archives. You know, there, there are lots of approaches you could take. it. I guess, like you say, I think is the important thing here is depends who's asking that question, right? If it's a non-Catholic Christian asking that question, the answer would be different, I think, than a person who is a complete a complete non non Christian, right? Just on just somebody who's who has no real faith background or no real faith I- engagement. I think your approach in that case is, I think, a, a fantastic one. That'd be my my approach too, right? Because the I think the more the world pulls away from and this is I think objectively true pulls away from from Judeo Christian values, the more things like the Catholic Church seem unique and strange. And, and compelling, like a, a, a different narrative, a different worldview, a different paradigm. Like, well, you know, these guys over here are doing, a, are doing a weird thing. What are those Catholics doing, right? And, you know, you, you see, I think the more surveys that you read as they come out more and more recently, like the less and less people have any kind of like pre-evangelization, right? They don't even know who Jesus is sometimes, like you know, we're exactly. we're living in we're living in a in a in a post-Christian world. So I think Christians look weird. I think I think there's an appeal of that, right? In the truth, in the beauty, in that in that lifestyle. There's something compelling in there that I think we can say, hey, you know, if you're tired of, of the world over here, like look at this. Look at this, you know, the the roots of beauty, like philosophically, right? Where you know, where does it come from? The roots of love, these kind of things. And and then just the objective beauty in things like the mass, in the in the liturgy. These things, I think, are going to become more and more compelling to people who are beginning to get jaded with the rest of, of what's out there, what, what else is offered, right? And I think that is a compelling reason to to begin to look into the Catholic faith for the complete kind of non-believer, right? 
Yeah, yes. and from from that, like my wife and I have often said, especially through times of crisis, is that how oh, do people yes, with yes. no faith yeah. deal with this? And, and I'll come back, and I shared it at the last time I was here with you on the Coral Catholic. I shared the story of my dad's passing, and how kind of on his deathbed, yeah. you know, someone who was raised Catholic but wasn't really practicing his faith at all. Uh, on his deathbed, received the sacrament of anointing and fought through the the morphine haze to to follow the sacrament and say amen at the end of it. And even just for myself, that, that brought so much peace of mind and being able to go pray before the blessed sacrament as my dad was going through that end of life process. Right? And that's one example of Many, many, many that I could go through from my life. So, like, so why be Catholic? Is that, again that comes back that faith gives us that something that you just can't put your finger on, but it helps us deal with yeah. life. Yeah, and, that, and that's that's huge. Yeah, that's huge. I love that. Okay, we could, all, like you say, spend an entire episode in each of these, each of these questions. Oh, no, and I'm watching the, the time tick away here, and I'm going to looking at the, let's play 20 questions. Okay, so 20 questions over the course of an hour. We'll get through yeah, a few We're of not going to make it. Not okay, make it. Catholics and, and Mary, this is, this is the number one stumbling block for non-Catholic Christians. Why do Catholics worship Mary? Now, Again, this is, I, I love when, when friends come to you and say things that reveal that oh, something's going on more with, here with their, with their thinking. Because I had a friend recently ask me, why do you guys venerate Mary? And I thought, wait a minute, where do you hear the word venerate from? To my evangelical Gosh, friend. That, that, that's probably thought, the right word to it, use. It is yeah. the right. And I thought, how did you, how did you know that? You, you've been doing some reading, I think, on something. And you know, because worship is what you normally hear. Of course, we don't worship Mary, but we, we venerate her. But but I guess let's, let's take it at the worship to begin with. But how would you answer that, Robert? When someone says to you, why do Catholics worship Mary? Well, again, you, you bring it back to the semantics, and it's not worshiping. We're not treating Mary as a goddess. Yeah. Right, she's not on the same level as Christ. She's not on the same level as the the Holy Trinity. Right. Uh, the best thing I can think of, and it's not necessarily how I would start the answer, but on the cornerstone. So our parish here in Port Perry is Immaculate Conception Parish, and the cornerstone with the year that the church was rebuilt, uh, there's written Ad Jesu Per Mariam, you know, to Jesus through Mary. Right, Mary points towards Christ. Right? Even in her words, the, the very last words Mary says in the Bible, and she probably said more after this, but the, the last recorded words of Mary in the Bible, do whatever he tells you. Right? And so we go to Christ through Mary, Right, and sometimes when I'm talking to my students, uh, do you listen to your mom? Do you do what your Do you do what your mother tells you most of the time? Right, <laughs> talking with teenagers, right? they're not always <laughs> going to be doing what, what what mom says for them to do. But you love your mom. You do what your mom. If someone were to you know pick on your mom, you know you'd be getting upset yeah. as well, right? And so there's that notion of of veneration. We know that. Amongst humans, she would be the first among humans, right? Because of the special role that she was called upon as the mother of God. And I remember too, I had an evangelical student 
in my classroom because in the high school level, Catholicly funded, Catholicly funded, publicly funded Catholic education. And I'm just having water here. I'm used to having a beer. So and you can imagine the editing that has to go on with that, right? Um, in publicly funded Catholic education, the high schools are actually wide open. People of, of all of all faiths are, are welcome. And I had this evangelical student that, no, Mary is not the mother of God. Mary's not the mother of God. So, okay, let's let's go back to your grade nine uh, phys ed class, the health class, you know, and talk about the reproductive <laughs> system, you know, and as you're, you know, you're saying you're, you're expecting, well, by now, hopefully your wife has had your, together, the fourth child has been born, right? And, you know, where the baby starts and the passage of, you know, so at the Annunciation, Christ was divine. Yes. So in those nine months leading up to Bethlehem, Christ was divine. Yes. So then when Christ was in the manger, Christ was divine. Yes. So that process to get from in utero to the manger, right? No. And and it finally just came to, well, we're going to just have to agree to disagree. And that, that, again, that comes back to that, propose and not impose. But I can see and understand why people think that Catholics worship Mary. You have the rosary dangling from your rearview mirror, Uh, the the pictures and the statues, and we have a beautiful statue of of the Immaculate Conception of Mary in our garden. And so people would see that almost as as idol worship. So I, I get where it's coming from, but it's trying to then explain, no, we, we're you know, seeing Mary as that window upon Christ. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love it. And you're right. I said before in the show, right, I, evangelicals are allergic to the idea of idol worship. I think is the best way I can, I can put it after years of trying to hone that down to a, to a, to a catchy, catchy phrase. But it's a, it's a good allergy, right? Because you want to avoid worshiping idols, but... In this case, it, it becomes this allergy that, that is just anything that even has a whiff of what looks like it might be idol worship is, is nope, nope, nope. I'm drawing a, a line here, right? It's very distinct. And you, you lose a lot of the nuance in those things, I, I think, right? I, I think it was Marcus Grodi from The Journey Home years ago, and I had him on this show, that said something along the lines of, like, the very best, most devout Catholic will look like the worst, like, idol worshiper ever to a non-Catholic Christian because this is a person who's bowing down before statues. This is a person who's praying the rosary, who has statues like, you know, like you and I do in our in our gardens. That looks like the very worst of Christianity. They're doing all these these things wrong. That could be the most devout Catholic possible because because you're looking at it through a, a different lens, different different paradigm, right? We see as Catholics and the church teaches that Mary and the saints aren't lost to us behind a, a you know a, a veil of darkness, but are, are part of the the living church that they can hear our prayers, that they can pray for us, that they're in the presence of God, right? And and can pray for us. So I would say one of the reasons why we have statues of Mary, why we have statues of saints, why people bow down before before statues or have them in their gardens sometimes, is because we believe that that relationship is ongoing and and personal. And, and possible, and, and that not cut off because they're dead and in heaven, 
right? First of all, and I think on Mary in particular, I think how I would approach that, I think, and this has changed over time and, may, and can change again, talking to a, you know, a Bible-based Christian would be to say, look, there are just too many things in the Bible about Mary that link her to, to Eve, as the new Eve, the the mother that that the the, the savior that that's that slayed the serpent, right? That crushes the mm-hmm, Satan. Mm-hmm. All these things that, if you believe the Bible is divinely inspired and perfect and without error, as as most evangelicals would believe, as I certainly believed and 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 believe, those things can't be coincidences, right? The fact that I love you, but I hadn't thought of this before, Robert. I love that you mentioned this. The fact that the last words of Mary where do whatever he tells you, that's not a coincidence that, that those are her last words recorded in the Bible, right? Th- those are there for a reason. God inspired the author, right, of, of the book of John, one of the Johns, we <laughs> presume, to, to put that in there and, and that be the last recorded words that, that Mary says, right? For, for a reason. Mary is, you know, what happens with Elizabeth when she encounters Mary during the visitation, yeah, when, yeah. When, right? Th- those words echo David and the Ark in the Old Testament. For, for a reason, that's not a mistake, right? Mary as seen in Revelation, you know, that, that shows us this picture of, of a new Eve and a new Adam in, in Jesus. That's not a mistake, right? If you take your Bible seriously, those parallels show us that Mary is important more than just a young woman who birthed Jesus. And you got to take that seriously, right? Well, so I think, sure. I think that's how I would often approach it these days with a person who takes the Bible seriously would say, well, what do you think of these things? Like, are those just mistakes? Because you could, you can, you couldn't be accused of reading too much into that because it's really obvious in those situations. Like you're not reading too much into it to see the parallels in the visitation. It's beat for beat. Like, yeah, hey, and like you said to the Ark of the on? Covenant, because yeah. you know, David danced before the Ark, yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. You know, St. John the Baptist danced there. And and even in those words, do whatever he tells you, it also echoes the words of the Father yes. at the Transfiguration. <laughs> Listen to him. Yes. Listen to him. So both of his parents are yeah. telling us we need to listen to Christ. They're both oh, pointing that way. And, and to continue <laughs> along that notion that you were you know, talking about as far as the, the saints, and you know, our God is the God of the living. Right, and we can look at the transfiguration because who was there with Christ? Yeah, right, right. And then also too, when you know Moses asks the burning bush, and he says, "I'm the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob." You know, he's the the God of the living. And Mary and the saints are there in the presence of God. They're there in the presence of, of Christ. So, who better to tap into than the people that are are standing there before him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean we 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 know again this is this is a common explanation or a common commonly brought up by by Catholic apologists, right? The, the Bible tells us that the prayers of a righteous person are are effective, right? Mm-hmm. Who is more righteous than those we believe are in the presence <laughs> Presence of no, God, no, right? No, exactly. You're, you're never going to ask the, the most slouchy Catholic you know or Christian you know to pray for you. You ask the guy who's praying for you, you know, who you know has a robust prayer life, right? So how much more would you ask the saints in heaven to pray for you, right? And that bowing before a statue in that situation, right? When I, if, if I go into my, my parish and there's a statue there of, of a saint, you know, that I have a certain d- devotion to that I really like, that, that I want to ask to, to pray for me, that bowing is not, I'm not worshiping that saint. I'm acknowledging that saint's in heaven 
is a bona fide holy person and kind of humbly saying, hey, thank you. You know, can you bring this to the feet of Christ who you could literally you know, walk over mm-hmm. <laughs> right? and, 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 and bring that to? It's a sign of respect in the same way, uh, you know, you're obviously, for YouTube viewers will know my, much my elder, Robert, I'm not, not gonna, much. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bow before you, but I'm gonna treat you with respect when I, when I talk to you, right? If you come over to my, my table, I'll stand up and talk to you, right? I'm not gonna, there's a, it's a certain, not just decorum, but respect for a person that's in heaven, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's something I think as you're, you're talking about that we've lost a little bit in English. Yeah. Because we don't have, uh, Polite pronouns, I guess, is, is the best way to, to, to put it. I spend my working days in French. And in French, there's two ways to address someone as you. There's, you know, two as we would between each other as, as buddies. and But then there's the vous, which is for someone who's your elder, someone who's in a position of authority, someone that is deserving of that, that bit of respect. Uh, and... That's even been lost a little bit in French over over here in North America, where it's a little bit more familiar. And I've had students that have gone over to go to school in Europe, and they've used the familiar with their teacher, and then the whole room just goes silent, <laughs> right? And so we've lost a little bit of that notion of of respect for yeah. for those that uh, you know deserve that that veneration. Yeah. And again, it's not to say worship that you should worship me as your elder, but there is that part of the relationship. Our relationship has developed enough to the point where all respect is out the window, but I mean, that's, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. As long as you don't call me Dennis again, we're all good. Oh my gosh. Never let that one down. That's going to go. That's, yeah. Yeah. I'll hear with that for ages. I'm really sorry. Oh, he'll, he'll have a good laugh when I talk to him tomorrow about that. So. Oh, my gosh. And the thing, too, that I, I think is important to recognize, again, this goes back to what Marcus Gordai had mentioned to me before, was that I don't know I, I don't know the interior life of every single Catholic who's bowing before a statue, right, or who is, who is praying to a saint. But those who know what they're, what they're doing, right, who know enough to bow to a statue or to, to, to pray, ask a saint to pray for them, know that they're not worshiping that saint. Actually, it was, this is funny because it was actually, I'm thinking back now, I think it was episode seven of the show. It actually was John Mark Gordai, Marcus's son, who said, you can't, you can't commit murder by accident, right? That's called manslaughter, right? You can't, in the same way, you can't commit idolatry. You can't worship a saint by accident, right? If you're, if you're mistakenly worshiping a saint, well, that, that's a mistake. Like, God's not going to say, like, hold you accountable for a mistake you've made if you're you know you you have to really intentionally worship something to to worship it properly right if you know the 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 catholic who's who's praying to a saint who's bowing to a statue they they know what they're doing they're asking that saint to pray for them they don't think that that saint is is god exactly and that saint is reminding us to live a yeah. saintly life so that we yeah. can be closer to God, yeah. right? We, we, we see them as that mirror image or we, we see them as that pathway or guide or mentor. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is that, okay, we better get going or else we're going to be here for five hours. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
do let's do some of the funny things that people might encounter going to mass. Okay, so smells and bells, standing up, sitting down, r- repeated prayers out of a a great big book where the priest is just kind of reading prayers. This is going to be weird for somebody who comes from a tradition where the pastor prays off the cuff, right? Where where you sit the whole time, you stand to sing songs, sit down, and that's it. Why the smells? Why the bells? Why the standing up, sitting down? Why the the written prayers from a prayer book? Can we can we hit do all? As you're saying that, you're reminding me of my own confirmation, and so my my confirmation mass, which was last week, um, <laughs> the number if I was to do the math, a couple well, years ago, forty, for for about forty years ago, so. I think long, long before you were around. <laughs> no, absolutely there, man. not. <laughs> um, so we invited the neighbor to come to confirmation mass, and she says, "Don't expect me to be kneeling for anything. If you, if I'm going to kneel, you'll see me walk in with my own pillow." And, it's, <laughs> and as a twelve-year-old, I did not know how to answer that. Like <laughs> this adult is saying, "Don't be expecting me to come kneel." And I'm thinking, like, what what do I say to that? But the reason why we have all of this stuff is because we are physical beings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? We're, we're physical beings that need these physical signs that will remind us of the sacredness of the different aspects of, of, of what's going on at Mass, right? And we'll go, we'll start with smells and bells. I mean, nothing, nothing is more beautiful than the smell of incense. Yeah. Right on a Sunday morning, and nothing shows the sacredness of what is going on. That's I, I love a high mass, and I'm and I'm not talking about even the Latin mass, but the the Novus Ordo mass. If it is done yeah. the way it's prescribed yeah. by Vatican II no. and Sacrosanctum Concilium, and the the way it's written out in the 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 Gurm, uh, like coming in and beginning by incensing the altar is just showing us something sacred, something special is about yeah, to happen, yeah, yeah. right? Something's about to go down, right? <laughs> and then, you know, incensing the book of the Gospels, right? Not, not the readings, not the lectionary, but the book of the Gospels. This stands out. And this stands out so much we got to stand up. Yeah. Yeah. Again, and, and it's out of respect that this is the story of Christ. This is the good news. These are the Gospels. And then at the, the, the Eucharistic prayer, and again, incensing the offering. And then not just that, incensing the congregation yeah. that we're set apart, that, that, that we're sacred. And it's not just any kind of smoke. And, and we know about smoke right now because in the midst of the forest fires and everything that's that's blowing in, I don't know if it's gotten quite as far as, as, as oh, yes. where you are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I went out the other morning to leave for work and it smelled like a campfire. Yeah. Right? It's a beautiful, perfumed scent. And you can just see it billow heavenward. Yeah. Right? 
And it, and it just brings that sense of the sacred. And again, the bells that just, you know, just as you're starting to drift off, because, you know, even though you're kneeling there for the, the Eucharistic prayer, you're probably leaning your backside on the pew behind you and the head on the pew in front of you. And, okay, Dennis. Yeah. Uh, what are, where are we going for brunch? And then the bells ring. Oh yeah. Okay. Something special is going on. Right. And it's because we're physical beings. We need those, those physical yeah. reminders. And as much as that's part of the liturgy, the, the, the stand up, sit down, the, the kneel. In my times of most spiritual anguish, and again, this is the blessing of teaching in a Catholic high school, is we have a chapel with the Blessed Sacrament. And in those moments uh, of greatest anguish, I can go in there and I'm lying face down in front of the blessed sacrament. Right. Not every day. I'll go in and kneel. There's some days you'll just sit there with our Lord, but in those, those times of of great trial and tribulation, just to lie face down and offer everything to the Lord, because as a physical being, we we just need to have those physical reminders uh, of the sacredness and even the Latin, right? Switching the language and, and using Latin, it just makes it special. Yeah. It sets it apart from the rest of the world. If we're just going in, and I'm sorry for your evangelical past, but <laughs> if you're going into worship on Sunday and you're just singing the song that you heard on the Christian radio channel as you were driving over, it's no different than sitting in your car, right? It needs to be set apart. (laughs) And and that's why we have all of these physical, physical parts of it. Yeah. I love our, our two-year-old is taken to when, when the bells ring at the consecration, she yells, the bells, the bells. And (laughs) we can't, we can't, we can't make her be quiet. It's impossible. And those around us kind of, kind of giggle, but you know, she notices and she's too, that something important is happening here, right? There's, there's bells. Like what's, what's going on, right? I think that's beautiful, right? And, and same too for the, the incense, right? Our, our son's beginning to altar serve and I was explaining to him the purpose of the incense and one of the, the purposes is, well, look, we, we can see it. We can see it floating up to the roof. Like, you know, like, like our prayers are floating up to heaven and that beautiful scent of our prayers before God in, in heaven, like that's a beautiful imagery to explain, mm-hmm. right? Standing at the gospel, like, if, if we're accused as Catholics of not taking the Bible seriously, well, hey, guys, look, we stand when we read from the words of Christ. I was taking things pretty seriously, right? I think that's pretty cool, a pretty cool imagery. So yeah, I mean, that there's even a procession with the Book of yeah, Gospels that it's right, picked up off it, the altar and it's walked around and it's held up high. Like I think that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's keep going and do at least a few more here. I'm thinking of things like, okay, confession is an important thing for us as Catholics. It's a weird stumbling block for those, I think, I think non-Catholic Christians and a lot of the, those Catholics, Robert, you'd know this teaching high school who, who become Catholic because their parents kind of forced them into it. They were confirmed, you know, baptized, confirmed, had first Eucharist because their parents, to, to please their parents. 
or whatever, they grow up into, into adults at some point. Confession is like this thing that, why would I ever do this? Why do I have to do this? I was, I was sitting it's in... It's the weirdest thing to do even it, when you go on a regular basis. It is, like, it is not it easy. Is. Our son had his first confirmation, or first first confession, and uh, first Eucharist. And I was sitting in the, the prep class with him, and a woman at the table with us was talking to her son, and the son kind of asked, oh, did you have first confession? And she, to, her, to his mom, and she goes, oh, yeah, I, I did back the so-and-so. And, I, and he goes, well, did you, have you gone since? And she goes, well, no, you don't need to go. And I thought, oh, Lord, help us. Because, of, of course, as practicing Catholics, we ought to go to confession regularly, at least once a year. But yeah, it's well, this, I'll, it's I'll make a confession thing, here like, as you're saying that and sharing that story, and I kind of <laughs> winced. And then I felt bad because I probably went, a 25 year yeah, period, yeah, yeah, 30 year right. period without going. And yeah, that was tough going in. And the president, you said, well, it's been about 30 years since my last confession. Yeah. And then I stumbled through that, but it was such a, a weight off my shoulders as well. So why, why do we have to confess our sins to a, to a priest, Robert? Well, why do you FaceTime your phone? Right. No, and I say it that way. Why do you, why do you FaceTime your phone? No, when, you know, when you pick up your phone and you and you're you're FaceTiming your, you're not FaceTiming your phone. You're fa- using the phone to FaceTime yeah. somebody else. Yeah. Right. It, it's a conduit. It's it's a way of going through. And so, yes, the priest is sitting there in the confessional. Hopefully, not on a beanbag chair. But that's a whole other story for a whole <laughs> oh, other no. podcast. Um. I mean, I love the screen because, again, that face-to-face is is just more difficult. Uh, But the priest is really our phone. He's not even really our phone to Christ, because the priest is sitting there in persona Christi. It's Christ that's sitting there, right? Through the priestly ordination, it's no longer Father so-and-so, Right? It's actually Christ that's sitting there. And it's Christ that we're confessing our sins to. And, and again, we've been talking about if you want to, you know, where is this biblically? Um, it was you know, towards the end of the resurrection appearances. And Christ says, you know, whatever you bind on earth will be bound, on, bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Uh, and there's other places too where, you know, scripturally it talks about this. But at the end of the day, you're not confessing to the priest. You're confessing to Christ. And it's Christ that's giving you absolution. It's not not the priest that's the one yeah. doing the forgiving. It, it, it's happening through him, but it's not him personally, Father so-and-so saying you're forgiven. Right? It, it's Christ, it's God that's saying that you're forgiven. That being said, it's still one of the most difficult things to do and go and rhyme off everything that you've done wrong and just having that introspection is very, very difficult to, to do. Um, And then because we're involved in our parish, sometimes that's also difficult because you have father over for dinner. And then the next morning you're going for (laughs) going for confession. Uh, Our last parish, before we moved up here, we would actually go one or two parishes over to, to go to confession because it was just, it was just, easier that that way Um, so again really it's not why why confess 
to a priest? Well, Scripture tells us that we need to to go to them, and it's not the human priest that you're confessing to. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, and I would say first of all, yeah, biblically, like that's it's very clear, and I and I always wrestle with this as evangelical that it was clear that Christ gave his apostles the ability to forgive sins. And I always thought, always, for as long as I can remember, I thought this, where did that go? And it always confused me that that was in the Bible and wasn't really talked about in evangelical circles. I thought, well, okay, but what is that? Where did that power go? Well, lo and behold, the Catholic Church said, well, that did, didn't go away. That was passed down. It's always, always, it's been, always there. been there. Yeah. And you can see from the beginning in the early church that the apostles and their successors believed they had that power. It wasn't like that just developed in the Middle Ages. They always believed that power existed and it was passed down as one, as one of the sacraments. And then I would say, just practically, like if you go from a, a person who asks Christ for forgiveness at the edge of your bed, praying at night for the sins you've committed and feel bad for, if you go from that experience of Christianity to experience where you are actually saying what you've done wrong to a real person who is there, who then says, through the power of Christ, I forgive you, it speaks Christ's words to you, like that experience, practically speaking, is just night and, and day. And every single, as difficult as it is, and, and you're, you're not wrong, Robert, that it can be challenging and awkward and, and, and difficult to confess your sins to a real life person. But every single convert I've talked to, down to the very last one, myself included, has said the same thing, that that experience is just beyond compare. How much more, mm-hmm. it, it just logically, physically, again, we're physical beings, right? So be able to speak our sins out loud to a person who hears that and has the power of, through Christ to say, yeah, you're forgiven. That is just night and day. Like that, it leaves that me in tears every time. Yes. Like every time I, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm weeping. And I have to share one, one more thing on that too. So again, bless, we have a, a beautiful crucifix in the sanctuary uh, at church up on the, up on the wall. It's more than, than life size. And while I'm waiting in penitence row, you know, trying to get people to go in front of me, cause I'm just not quite, you know, <laughs> still going through my, through my mental list. But uh, I gaze upon the crucifix and as I'm looking at, as I'm waiting to go into confession, it's almost like Christ's shoulders on the cross are weighted down. Something's pulling down on his shoulders and actually making it harder on his wrists, right on, on his pierced hands. And there's just that weight on his shoulders. And when I come out, they seem lighter. It's almost like, the, the weight on his shoulders ha- has been lifted from going into confession. And it, it's, yeah, it's just one of those things. I get goosebumps now, even just, just thinking about yeah. it. Right. It's just one of those things that I, I've noticed and I've observed when I go looking for it, I don't necessarily see it, but every so often, again, when I'm penit- I like to call it penitence row and I, and I look up and there's just that weight on his shoulders. And then afterwards y- you can see it's gone. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's beautiful. Okay, th- this one is a tough one, and this one I don't know how you're going to answer this, Robert, because I have a, a hard Neither time do I. answering this. Answering this one, and it's the question: Why is the you Vatican? You might not want to be an ask it no, at that rate, but yeah. that's <laughs> why, why is the Vatican so wealthy? This is, I mean, you you look at there. There's a certain opulence of, and a certain 
you know, pomp and ceremony to even in some of the things that are that happen in Rome with the Vatican, that sometimes, I mean, that's, as a, as a Catholic, it can be off-putting sometimes when I go, this feels a bit too opulent. Like, why are we strutting our stuff like this when, when Christ came in a humble nature? And, and it, it makes me uncomfortable sometimes to think about it. I don't know if I have a good answer to this. I'm curious to know how you would answer a person who, who has something like that. I had three ideas written down beside this question, and I'm just trying to think of you know which order do I, I want to go in. I think I'm going to start with Saint Jean Vianney, uh, the Curé d'Ars, and I, I'm going to have to paraphrase here. But he talked about because people used to ask him because he would live a very austere life, but he had the most beautiful vestments, and he had the most beautiful oh, artwork yeah. in, in his parish. You know, and it was you know trying to, to put that juxtaposition together, right? And his comment was, there is nothing that is too beautiful for the glory of God. There's nothing that we can do as humans. Art, music, vestments, pomp and circumstance, there's nothing that we can do that will be beautiful enough to give God his due, right? And so when we look at the Vatican and we look at the, the beautiful artwork that's there, right, and a lot of the value that is in the artwork is more because of the age, yeah. right? I mean, it, it is beautiful artwork. It is, it's absolutely stunning, right? But it's also hundreds of years old, right? And a car that's hundreds of years old is going to be worth something, Right, And there's nothing that we can do that is going to be good enough truly to, to give God what he's worth. And that's the beauty of God's love, because we can never do enough to earn it, but he lavishes it on us anyways. Right? That, that's the beauty of God's love. That it, and you can come back to, to con, the confession question. You know, There's nothing we can do to earn God's forgiveness, but he gives it to us anyways. That's why the penance and confession is so minimal because there's nothing we can do to make it up. Yeah. So go say your three Hail Marys because like, doesn't matter what you do. You're, you're, you're never going to make them. And so you can look at the, the wealth of the Vatican, right? And you can look at the, the artwork and the vestments and, and the pomp and ceremony that's not there to distinguish the human element. It's not there. I think Pope Francis has taught us this beautifully. It's not there for the veneration or the worship of Pope Francis. He would probably be the last one that would want it. Yeah. But it's there to point towards the glory of God. Right? And then from that, because people will say, well, why don't they sell all of the artwork in the Vatican and give it to the poor? And to which the, the biblical answer is, well, who was the first one to say to sell all of this off? Because we could have used this, this ointment that is so expensive that has been used for the glory of Christ. Someone said, well, why didn't we just sell that off because it's you know, so many years wages and give that money to the poor? And the person who suggested that? <laughs> Not known for good ideas. 
No, uh, <laughs> Mr. Iscariot, right? Like Ju- Judas was the one who, yeah. right? And again, it's not meant. That's good. Yeah, that's good. It's, it's not meant for for human glory. It's meant for for God's glory. And Christ said, "You'll always have the poor with you." Right. So, out of your own self denial, out of your own work, yes, help the poor. It's not to say not to help the poor. But that has to come from you and and give God the, all of the glory. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, I think too of, I mean, again, you have to think about uh, to the, the paradigm, the context this is coming from too sometimes, right? Coming from, you know, I went, I attended a Pentecostal church in, in high school that was, was so, was so austere in its, religious trappings that you know there was a cross it was in the kind of on the side of of the of the main church section that wasn't even in the front kind of off to the side and the rest was just brick and and very plain uh, right now that same church is going to have smoke machines and spotlights and pyrotechnics during the worship service so there is it's it's you know gone from austere to well there is there is pomp and circumstance and there is this this scene being made it's and and it, Again, what it begs the question was: What's pointing more to Christ? Beautiful vestments that reflect, you know, the, the heavenly liturgy, or smoke machines and and disco lights? That's a whole other topic well, for a different show. And, and that's why Benedict right? Sixteenth, in his great wisdom, uh, and in his in his book Spirit of the Liturgy, says there should be no applause at Mass yeah, because as soon yeah, as you yeah. start applauding at Mass, yeah, yeah. you're you're applauding human endeavor. That's so good. Right? And I had a pastor, and he put an end to applause at Mass because there was one time, uh, there was applause after the recessional, and then you could hear him pipe up through his his microphone back into the church. Nobody applauded the homily. And I think that was the end of applause at Mass, right? <laughs> That's, oh, but that's we have to remember it's all for the the greater glory of God. Yeah, yeah. And I think of you know there was that remarkable moment. I'm sure you saw this too in the kind of the middle of COVID, right? When Pope Francis came out, there was that service, that kind of the Eucharistic exposition, right, where he kind of came the, out an the empty, Orby, yes. yeah, yeah, you know, an, an empty, empty Vatican Square, like just some 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 candles, some torches burning, and like very very minimal very kind of stripped down. It, that was just a beautiful, like it doesn't have to be the pomp and circumstance because it's not for the sake of those things. The, these things are for the sake of God, for the glory of God, and it, it can be very minimal in those cases. And when it's maximal, it's not for the sake of being maximal. It's again, it's for the same purpose, minimal, maximal. It's all for the glory of God in that in that context. And the church can 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 do it both ways. And I think, you know, from the outside that sometimes can look like guys wearing really cool robes and cool hats and like beautiful statues and gold plated things. But again, it's for the glory of, of God. Right. And it's, it's meant to point back again. And again, from the outside might not look that way because you're not understanding what it's, what it's meant to be. That could require more catechesis, better explanation of those things. People And, and the world the outside, has lost right? touch but, of the, the its spiritual yeah. side. Yes, yes, right? yes. 
Absolutely. Okay, I want to do one more with you. We, okay. we, we have lots. I think this has been fantastic. Hopefully listeners will enjoy this. It wasn't quite the rapid fire question session that I think I imagined it being, but that was probably silly to imagine. Well, you've never listened that. to Dennis because Dennis will tell you as soon as you start asking me a question, you're not getting a rapid <laughs> well, fire true. answer. Right? That's true. Okay. This maybe is the, 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 I don't know, one of the number ones. And it's why does the Catholic Church have so many rules? You hear this from a lot of people who are looking on the, again, looking at it from the outside. Those who were maybe raised kind of nominally Catholic, went through the motions, the sacraments, never really dug into their faith for whatever reason. It looks like the Catholic Church has just tons of rules for the sake of rules. I know how I would begin to unpack that. What would, you know, you must get this a lot from from teenagers and as a Catholic educator. All all the time, and it's probably the hardest question to answer because even from the inside, you're kind of going, yeah, there are, it seems to be like, there's a lot of rules. Like there's, there's just all these things that you have to now from the inside, for me anyways, when I'm thinking of all the rules of the church, I'm looking more towards how the liturgy is prayed. Right. And I think people from the outside, when they're looking and they're thinking of the rules, uh, it's on the, the moral questions. Yeah, yeah. So, again, it's a, it's a, a question of, of perspective. Uh, it's a very, again, just a, a hard question, a hard topic to tackle. Coming back to what we were talking about at, at the beginning is that even though we will share the truth with love and, and we will explain the, the church's teachings uh, in a cordial way. It's not always going to be perceived that way. And so the, these kind of conversations need to be approached with a lot of care and caution uh, with that. It almost needs, you need to ask other questions to, to get at the heart of where it's coming from. But at the end of the day, I mean, you can look at the the notion of rule and kind of other definitions of it, and you come up with the idea of of guidelines, right? And and the way I would approach it is that the church is laying down guidelines on how to get to heaven, right? But at the end of the day, we still have that free will. We can make that choice whether we're we're going to follow them uh, or not. And again, depending on the, the, the person I'm speaking with and, and working with teenagers, sometimes it's a, a little bit easier because they're very passionate. Teenagers are very <laughs> passionate. And generally, they're passionate about one of two things, sports or music, right? And that just seems to be what the teenagers are, are really into. And so I approach it from, from that way. I'll ask, you know, well, what sport do, do you play? And whether it's soccer or, or hockey or basketball, well, why are there so many rules there? Right? Well, if you don't have rules, you can't play the game properly. Right? And having taught elementary school as well, uh, you know, nothing goes, devolves into chaos faster <laughs> than a recess game of any sport because they're making up the rules on the fly. Right? And I remember as a kid, you know, back in the days of black and white, um, and we would play baseball at recess and, you know, there would be about five first bases that you could go to. And depending on who was closest, 
Right, and who had the ball? Actually, it was depending on who had the baseball bat as to which was the first base that you were going to use, right? And you'd spend all of recess arguing about which one is first base, uh, and you wouldn't get to play the game, right? And so you, you can see that with, with the sport. And then the same with music. If you're not following the rules of music, all you've got is a noisy gong. Yeah. It's just noise. And so if we don't have these guidelines, our life will descend into chaos and our, our life will be just noise. We need those guidelines. Uh, and there's guidelines out in the, the greater world. Um, as I'm driving daily, listening to the cordial Catholic, I'm often just impressed. Like the amount of trust that I have on the road for the other drivers yeah, to yeah. be following the rules, right? So what, what's it going to take one driver to say, I don't want to be bound by the yellow line in the middle of the road and there's disaster, right? So those rules are the, the, are the guidelines to help get us to heaven, to help us live rightly, to help us live correctly. And whether it's sport or music or driving, if we don't follow the rules, there's going to be consequences. Yeah. And here they are. And that is now for you to decide whether you want to follow them yeah. or not. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I love that presentation of not to impose, but to, to propose, right? To say, here's, what, here's what the guidelines, take them, take them or leave them. I think one thing that, again, this goes back to my experience as a convert is is just amazing is, yeah, there are all these quote-unquote rules the Catholic Church has, but none of them arbitrary. I think it's amazing because, right, the way that we did our faith as evangelicals was to kind of pick and choose from different Bible verses kind of and, and build our kind of framework around, I'm a Christian that believes this, 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 and this, and here are the biblical reasons why, and why I'm not a Christian who believes this, 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 and this over here, like these Christians, right? You you kind of build your your faith statement, right? Methodist or Reformed or Pentecostal or Baptist from from the Bible, and have different verses that other groups had as to why you were you were like that. Well, what what you find in the, in the Catholic Church is the rules that guide like your life are are so deeply interwoven together and make so much sense logically of the whole of Catholicism. Like it's a it's such a coherent worldview compared to kind of a pick and choose from the Bible Christianity that it's it's just stark in comparison. It's it's really it's really hard to understand unless you begin to dig into it, but it's very very different. So those those rules those rules make make sense and a lot more sense than they do when you're a Christian of a different different stripe because these rules in this ancient church, the, the way of doing faith here, just fits together so much more coherently. And we didn't touch on things like contraception or the, or the male priesthood in this conversation, but things like those spring from the same place. Like the rules around the priesthood relate and connect to rules around why Catholics have a view on contraception or abortion or, or the human body and the dignity of the human body or end of life stuff. All these things connect together so succinctly when you begin digging into them that, you know, the, yes, rules, 
but begin to understand them and they all they coalesce they, they they're so cohesive it's it's remarkable and you can't you can't make this stuff up like if somebody were to invent a religion this is too complicated to ever conceive of of how beautiful these quote unquote rules fit together there, there's right. 2000 years of the greatest minds yeah, yeah. that have been thinking on this yeah. to, to bring it all together and to continue to open it up for us. Yeah. As, uh, we've only just kind of scratched the surface yeah. as, as to what the faith holds for humanity. Right. I'm not yeah. saying just in this, this short podcast, I'm saying for all of humanity, <laughs> yeah, just we, we've, barely scratched the surface you know within the podcast you know we i don't think we've even you know we're still maybe clipping our fingernails to get ready to scratch kind of kind of thing (laughs) that's a gross analogy (laughs) it's just what comes what comes through my head if if i were to voice half of what goes through my head sometimes Um, but it's Again, coming back to to what we were saying, even from the top, and when we're having these questions, and we're answering the, we're having the conversations, answering the questions uh, for people, you know, is you know being truthful, yeah, being cordial, being loving, uh, being open, and also though to getting to know the people that we're speaking with, because sometimes they're they they might not even be ready for the answer. They're maybe not, they're not ready for the whole answer. And it's to find out where they're coming from so that we can best guide them towards the truth. And it really is guiding. We're not, we can't push, we can't shove. It really is a guiding process. And it's not something that would happen even overnight. Yeah. Right. Unless you're up to 3 a.m. watching YouTube videos on a daily basis, but I don't know who that would have been. But oh, back in the day. Yeah, it's uh, it's a long journey. It's yeah. a, it's a journey. Yeah. It, it's a marathon, and even for those of us that were raised in the faith, we're not always ready for all of the answer. And we need to remember to take just those small steps. <laughs> That's fantastic. Robert, we're happy to clip my fingernails with you in this episode. This is a great experience. <laughs> oh, yeah, that out too. Oh, I don't know. It's just, I oh, love, we're talking about the script. I love uh, I'll, it. I'll, I'll, I better stop that's now. Not, that's fantastic. That's my favorite analogy of the show. Oh, figuring out clipping with Robert LeBlanc. That's that's yeah. wonderful. Listen, I will put links to your stuff in the show notes. But where do you want to? What do you want to suggest listeners uh, dig into? Pints and Pews is your podcast. It's it's, it's fantastic. Anywhere else you want to point them towards to find and follow your stuff? Yeah. So the best place to find kind of everything, whether it's the Pints and Pews podcast, uh, to go back in the YouTube archives of of the the videos. I uh, used to do back in the day. And one of these days, I'll hopefully get back to it. Uh, catholicmoment.ca. So at catholicmoment.ca, you'll find the videos. You'll find link to Pints and Pews. You'll find links from my books, uh, my contact information. So that's kind of the, the easiest way. Uh, we have Pints and Pews on Facebook. Uh, if you're looking through Twitter or Instagram, it's catholicmoment7. Um only because by the time I got through all of the numbers, that's the one. That's the one that worked. Um, so that, that's where you can can find me for all all of the fun stuff. But yeah, CatholicMoment.ca would be the the one stop shopping. 
That's fantastic. Reminds me of my friend Keith Nestor, who is Keith Nestor one on Twitter because he lost a password for Keith Nestor. He couldn't, he couldn't make, he couldn't get back at his account, so he just made, he made a new one. So I love that. that <laughs> I that'll love happen that. to you as age comes along and all oh, the passwords uh, start disappearing. Wait. I can't yeah. wait, Robert. Always a pleasure. Thank you for being here. I want to say God bless uh, you, your work for the church. It's fantastic, uh, and, and thank you. Thanks for your friendship. Thanks for being here again. Yeah, though this has been an absolute blast. Like I said, I listen to you, to you. It's like we talk every day. We're <laughs> texting back and forth. If it's not every day, it's every other day. And it's just such a blast, such a blast to, to sit down and chat. So thank you, and, and God bless you. God bless your growing family. Hopefully by the time, like you said, this comes out, uh, you're at four healthy children. Um, so we will continue to pray for you uh, and all of the littles. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. I'll be very, very tired at that point. As well. So thanks for your prayers. <laughs> well, thank you, friends, for listening to this episode of the Cordial Catholic Podcast. Uh, once again, hopefully you enjoyed that conversation. We had a list of, I call it in quotes, 20 questions. It was more like 15. We got to like five of those. So I probably should have expected that to happen, talking to uh, Robert. When two friends get together, chatting about the faith, it just becomes a, a, a great conversation. Hopefully your eavesdropping in that conversation was was worth it, was interesting, was good. Let me know. CordialCatholic at gmail.com is my email address for your feedback. Send it there. Or find us on social media. We're on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Cordial Catholic, The Cordial Catholic on Facebook, and CordialCatholic.com for our website for show notes, my blog, and those kinds of things. Uh, find us on YouTube to, to watch what you're hearing, youtube.com slash thecordialcatholic. And if you listen on Spotify or an Apple podcast, please leave a rating or review because that helps to push the podcast out to new people who are looking for a new show, see the ratings and the reviews and go, hey, this looks interesting. I'll, I'll check this out. Those are very important for doing just that thing. If you want to support this show financially, head over to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or paypal.me slash cordialcatholic for ways that you can do that. This isn't my full-time job, and your support of the show financially makes this thing possible week after week. So thank you to those who are already doing that. And if you are considering that prayerfully, please have a look. See what you think. Pray on it. And thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. Talk to you again soon. Uh, God bless. Know that I'm praying for you. Please pray for us, too. Take care and talk soon. Thanks so much, guys. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.